0: Good morning, Crosspoint. Good morning. What a beautiful morning this morning. I don't even recall the last time that I got in my car and for my 70-minute commute from my home and watched the sun come up as I drove. I'll tell you this, it was last year. It's been that long ago. Of course, last year hasn't been that long. <laughs> I have an announcement for you this morning I think you'll be excited about. Last week, I had uh, coffee ...with uh, Brent Ingersoll. Most of you know the name. He's a cross-point boy. He was raised here in this church. God is using him in a significant, beyond significant, in a great way to impact in King's Church and the various satellites of King Church. And uh, during the coffee, I just said to him, you know, it seems to me that uh, every, every preacher, pastor ought to go back to their home church once in a while to preach... Why don't you? I thought I was going to have to twist his arm and beg and all that stuff. He said, I'd love to come. When do you want me? So, so uh, May the 15th, on a Sunday, Bern Ingersoll will be here preaching at his home church. And we're, we're just thrilled uh, to have him. Let's speak to the Father, and then we're going to go right to the Word. Father, as we open your Word this morning and look at this amazing miracle that you performed in a town called Nain. Father, help us to recognize and realize you stand ready to do a significant miracle in our lives. Speak to us this morning. We would ask it in Jesus' name. Unpredictable events such as floods, tornadoes, earthquakes, volcanic eruptions, tsunamis, blizzards, hurricanes, and ice storms, are common these days on planet Earth. But we're on the east coast of Canada, and we're fortunate that some of those events on the list that I just gave you are not part of our experience here, but some are. Let's just visit a couple. We all heard about, and a handful of people in here actually were in Newfoundland during January. They experienced one snowfall, 24-hour period, 90 centimeters, that'd be about, about three feet of snow, fell in less than 24 hours. I have some pictures of that storm here. A common word that was used to describe this event in our neighboring province was it was Snowmageddon. It was, a, it was just a tremendous storm, and you see several pictures of it there. Some of these might be a review picture because some of them were featured uh, on on news channels, you would have noticed. Now, the next uh, event that I want uh, to take with you, yes, can you imagine that? Uh, These next pictures, these next half a dozen pictures, are from an ice storm that hit Quebec and the Maritimes uh, a few years ago. The ice was over nine centimeters. If you need that translated, that's about... Can you imagine ice three inches thick on everything? Everything. People, some people were days getting into their cars. Millions of trees and power lines and those metal towers, as you see here. It just played havoc all across Quebec and the maritime provinces. Just a significant event. And then this last picture, apparently, this young couple, the storm came up so suddenly... you don't believe me that they were trapped in place well I'm not sure about that but this I do know I think she's giving him the cold shoulder that's bad isn't it yeah it is but these these events that I've been speaking about this morning did you know these events that are considered to be outside of human control have a name Oh yeah, they do. Especially the insurance company has a name for these kind of events. You know what they're called? They're called an act of God. And here's the definition of an act of God: an unpredictable event outside of human control, such as a flood, tornado, earthquake, volcanic eruption, snowstorm, and other natural disasters. So, they're all events and because they're outside of human control, they call them an act of God. It, it, it's as if their reasoning goes like this. Well, I'm not responsible. And you're not responsible. Well, someone has to be held responsible. So let's say that God did it. It's almost as if. They, they're speaking of God as if he sits up there and goes, Ice storm, eastern Canada. Tsunami, Indonesia. Guatemala, Earthquake. New Orleans gets a hurricane. Now I know, I know that God doesn't need me to come to his defense this morning. But I need to tell you up front in this sermon this morning that it makes me, it makes me indignant that crops grow and economies flourish and nations prosper. And what do you think they call that? Do you think they refer to that as an act of God? Oh no, no. When all those good things happen, it's more likely for someone out there to say, politicians or whoever, to declare, look what we did. But a disaster or some natural phenomenon, and it's an act of God, they say, they speak of it as if it's an evidence of the hand of God at work. And that's why I want you to come with me for a few moments this morning as we look and learn about an act of God, and what that looks like. So I'm taking you on this fifth week in the book of Acts as we travel with Luke, third book of the New Testament, chapter 7, and we're going to read verses 11 through 17, and we're going to take a look at what the hand of God looks like when it's at work. How does that work? So here we are, Luke 7. Let's read it together as we do per usual. I'll be odd, you be even. Here we go. Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to a village of Nain with a great crowd following him. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk to those around him, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. The report of what Jesus had done that day spread all over Judea and even out across its borders. So the question I pose for your consideration for these next moments is simply this. How does the hand of God work? So with that question in mind, I want you to notice three truths from this great story. And here's the first. The heart of God is moved by people in need. The heart of God is moved by people in need. So here we have Jesus traveling towards Nain with a huge crowd following him. And as they approach the gate of the village, they meet another crowd leaving Nain, and it's a funeral procession. Now, in those days, a funeral procession would include a band of mourners. That would be a group of people whose task it was when someone died to be part of the mourners and to help those who knew the loved one best. Grieve, And they would be playing flutes and, and, and hitting their cymbals. And Jesus, so Jesus and his followers might have heard this funeral procession coming before they ever saw them. And these mourners would be in a frenzy uttering their shrill cries of grief and no wonder. It's a young man who has died and he was the only son of a widow. But it's verse 13 I want you to notice. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Eugene Peterson's translation, he wrote the message, puts it this way. When Jesus saw her, when Jesus saw this widow lady, her, his heart broke. He was, he was moved to the depths of his heart. And so I make the point again, the heart of God is moved by people in need. Now, to this first century culture, the thought that God's heart, the heart of of the creator God of the universe was moved by people in need, that would be unbelievable to them. You see, the the noblest religion back there in the first century was considered to be Stoicism. The Stoics believed that the primary characteristic of God was was apathy, that God was incapable of feeling. They believed that God was above feeling. He didn't have feelings. And their logic went like this. If one person can make another person sad or sorry or glad or joyful, that would mean that one person can influence another person or that that person can have a power over another person. Then their logic flows like this. Well, no one can influence God. No one can have a power over God. And therefore... God must be incapable of feeling. That was their logic for arriving at the fact that God has no feelings. He feels nothing. These mistaken Stoics must be responsible for coining the phrase, act of God, you think? Back to verse 13. His heart overflowed with compassion. Now we're talking here about something more than sympathy. We're talking here about empathy. Sympathy... Sympathy is is when I feel sorry for you in your circumstances. The circumstances you find yourself, I feel sorry for you. But listen to me. Empathy is something deeper, greater. Empathy is your pain in my heart. You see the difference? God feels our pain. What a God. Boys, that's nothing like the God of the Greeks. Remember hearing the stories about the ancient Greek god Zeus sitting on top of Mount Olympus, healing, uh, hurling lightning bolts at hapless, helpless humans. In contrast to that, speaking of the God-man, the scripture tells us in the book of Hebrews, here it is, we don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. Isn't that something? He's been through weakness and testing, and he experienced it all, And the message puts it this way, God, the God-man Jesus Christ, he empathizes with us. Methodist preacher from years ago, Charles Allen, told a story of a little child who went on an errand for her mother, and she was late coming back, and her mother asked for an explanation of where the child was. Well, the child explained that a playmate of hers uh, that she met on the street had fallen and broken her doll. And that she stopped to help her. The mother is now wondering what could her little girl possibly do to help her friend mend the doll. And the little girl had a marvelous reply. She just said, I I sat down and helped her cry. That is empathy. So you hear me this morning. If you're going through some difficult circumstance in your life maybe it's a problem with your health maybe it's financial woes maybe it's marital discord maybe it's a rebellious child may even listen to this even if what you're going through is a circumstance of your own doing maybe it's because of poor choices you've made hear me this morning god is moved by your circumstances the message for you this morning says he cares God cares. His heart overflows with compassion. The heart of God is moved by people in need. So that's the first of the three truths that I want to share with you this morning. But we've just begun, really, to answer the question, how the hand of God works. So, number one, the heart of God is moved by people in need. Here's number two, the hand of God, the hand of God moves in response to to faith, Now, that's not a new truth, but hang with me here. We began reading today in verse 11, the scripture we read together. But if you were to go back a few more verses, Jesus had just healed a Roman officer's servant. Now, if you don't recall the story, let me give it to you in brief. He was on his way to this Roman officer's house when he received a message from the officer. Luke chapter 7, verse 7, tells us about it. And the officer's message was this. I'm not worthy to have you come and meet me at my home. So just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus responded to that and says, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all the land of Israel. And and at that very moment, the scripture tells us that the servant was healed and then we come to the passage that we read here this morning, and we began reading this way soon afterward. Soon after what? After the, the, the officer's servant was healed. Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to Nain. His disciples and the crowd, think on this now, his disciples and the crowd had heard the Roman officer's message. They saw that the servant was healed, they heard Jesus' words to the officer, and I suggest to you that their faith meter spiked. It went hard right. Their faith soared, soared, and, and, and now the, the entire Nain-bound crowd believed like never before. I'm sure that this crowd now believed that this Jesus could do anything. This crowd headed towards Nain was a faith crowd. And when they meant that funeral procession, I believe death didn't even have a chance. I believe that crowd believed that something spectacular was about to happen. In my mind's eye, I can see disciple Bartholomew poking uh, Nathaniel in the ribs and say, listen up there, Nathan, we're going to see a great miracle here in a moment. And the hand of God, you see, moves in response to faith. So Jesus, the story goes on. Jesus approached the widow and says to her, don't cry. And he, was, and he was about to change her grief into rejoicing. He walked over to the coffin. Now a coffin in that day wouldn't be a coffin like you think of today, not a casket like we see today. Probably it was just a wicker work basket that they used to carry the body to a grave. And Jesus touched the basket of the dead and spoke and said, Young man, get up. One commentator put it this way. Jesus claimed as his own what death had seized as his prey. And the dead boy, verse 15 tells us, we just read it, the dead boy sat up and began to talk. Do you ever wonder what he might have said when he sat up? You suppose he said something like, what on earth is going on here? Why all the sad faces here? What goes on? Well, you, you people are looking like you've seen a ghost. doesn't tell us what it said. It has to be something like that. You see, the, the hand of God moves in response to faith. Now, here's the interesting part. Whose faith? Well, it wasn't the faith of the widow. She was on the way to the cemetery to bury her son, so it wasn't her faith. Well, it wasn't the faith of those in the funeral procession, the, the mourners and the grievers. They knew that dead is dead but the roman soldier's faith that they had just witnessed gave the disciples and the whole crowd traveling with jesus a faith lift no i'm not lisping i mean faith lift awesome is this a faith crowd do you have do you have faith that the hand of god can move in your circumstances Do you have a faith, do you really believe that God can move in your life and in the life of those that you love? In 2007, I had the privilege of traveling to a Bible school in Swaziland to teach for a few days. And on the last day that we were there, it was kind of the vacation day, and we visited a wild animal reserve park. There were all kinds of animals, no cats, but hippos, elephants, giraffes, rhinos, all kinds of animals. And, and it came midday, and we had lunch in the middle of the jungle outdoors. And we were sitting at tables, and, uh, and I, I thought everything was cool until I asked. Uh, oh, oh, while we were eating, there were these little deer walking all around us inside this enclosure, about so high you, you could take a bite of your food and then pat the animal if you wanted to. I thought that was really Cool until I asked what the meat was we were eating. (laughs) The deer were called impala, and we were eating impala. And uh, I think one of those little fellows said to me, hey, buddy, you're eating my Uncle Cal. (laughs) That's not the point of my story. Stay with me. Here's here's the point. We were sitting in this little restaurant, and here's what they told us uh, about these impala deer. They can jump, even the small ones, they can jump 10 feet high. But they can be kept in an enclosure three feet high. You might think, how does that work? Well, here's how it works. They won't jump over a fence. If you put the fence that they can't see through three foot high, they will not jump over a fence and land where they can't see where their feet will fall. Here's the point. The faith that moves the hand of God says, I will take a leap of faith and I will trust God no matter where my feet may land. That's the faith that pleases God. I will trust you, Father. I will trust you, God, with my health. I'll trust you with my life, my wife, my career, my family, my finances, my future. I trust you with it all. The hand of God always moves in response to faith. So here's the first two again, okay? How does the hand of God work? The heart of God is moved by people in need. Number two, the hand of God moves in response to faith. And here's the third. The work that you and I think is the ultimate work of God's hand isn't. Stay with me now. Think with me. Verse 15 says the dead boy sat up. Now, if you thought that the grievers were, were grieving up a storm with all their wailing and shrieking, you should hear them now the dead boy sat up and began to speak and i'm sure there were cheers and shouts of praise and dancing and clapping what a celebration and jesus and the jesus faith crowd would join in with all the mourners and the grievers and then i want you to look what luke records the crowd saying here it is when they saw the dead boy alive and speaking they said We have seen the hand of God at work today. You see that? It's like they're saying, of all the things that Jesus has done in his ministry so far, this is the greatest of all the miracles that he's done. This kid was graveyard dead, and now he's alive. And they're saying, we have seen the ultimate work of God's hand. You think? And don't you think? Don't you think that at this point, Nain became a tourist attraction? I can even picture a sign as you approach Nain that would look like this. Welcome to Nain, home of the walking dead, man. I'm sure people were so thrilled at this, what they thought would be the greatest of all miracles. They thought someone dead, Coming back to life, nothing beats this miracle. So they think. Back in January of 13, I came back to the city after pastoring Corbett Avenue Wesleyan from 7 to 11 to participate in the funeral of a lady I had pastored when I was there. And I was asked to participate in the funeral, and I was listening to Pastor A.J. Plazier, who was the pastor at the time, do his funeral sermon, and he said this, talking to the congregation with the, with the deceased here in front, what do you want people to say about you when it's you here and people are paying their respects? I thought that was a great question. After the service, I went out into the gym to the reception, and an 85-year-old man approached me, and I knew him well, He attended there. He looked serious. He should have been serious. It's a funeral reception, right? And he said to me, do you know what I want people to say about me when they come visit me and I'm laid out there? And I responded appropriately. So I thought, I said, what? He said, I want them to look at me and say, look, he just moved. You don't laugh at funeral receptions, but I could hardly contain myself. <laughs> but here's the thought that occurred when I think of that story: I think, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, if that happened today in the city of Fredericton, that a person bona fide dead, dead, came to life again, CBS and CTV and CNN and Fox and all the American networks, there would be there would be media people swarming. This city like you never saw before. And people would would think this is the greatest miracle of all miracles. And I think that some of us in this room were inclined to think the same thing. Someone comes back from the dead. That would be the ultimate work of the hand of God, right? No. 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 That poor boy, the widow's son, do you realize this? He had to die all over again. My younger brother, Conard, several in this room knew him well. He was on staff here for several years before he left us. He was diagnosed with cancer in August of 2012. The doctors told him even then there's there's no cure so they did the most of you in this room you know about this yourself or someone you love did the chemo and radiation thing trying to slow the cancer give him some quality of life and control the pain I visited him often I was pastoring in Yarmouth at the time but I drove up every other week to see him we were close and when I was there I would pray for him I asked God over and over again to heal him. I asked God not to let death win. Connor died December 13th of 13. Now here's my question for us this morning. Do you think that if my brother Conard had been healed, if he had been healed, like I asked, like many of you asked, would that have been would that have been the greatest miracle that my brother Connor could have ever possibly experienced? And the answer to that is an emphatic no. The greatest miracle that any person can ever experience, Conard experienced it when he was just a child. And that's when he repented of his sins and put his trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. And had his sins forgiven and was given the gift of life. He was given the gift of eternal life. Yeah, that would be all right if you did. He was given the gift of eternal life. And so I declare to you this morning that death did not win. Yes, we've missed him these seven years, of course, especially. Those those of us that loved him the most. But death did not win. And here it is. It's going to be on the screen. There it is. See it? The ultimate work of the hand of God happens when one turns to him in repentance and faith. And they ask for forgiveness. And commit their lives to him. And he brings them from death to life. That's the greatest evidence of the hand of God at work in our church, in our town, and in your life. There's a verse in John that says, I assure you that those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed. You hear that? Already passed from death to life. Did you know this morning that this room, this room this morning is full of people who would say, I have experienced the greatest miracle, the greatest evidence of the hand of God at work. I've experienced that I've experienced the new birth. My hands up is yours. Show me your hand. Those that would say, I have experienced the greatest of all the miracles. I've experienced the new birth. I have eternal life. Now, just before band comes, they've already come Are they sing there are some here in this room this morning that you couldn't or didn't or chose not to put your hand up and say I'm one, I've experienced the greatest miracle, wouldn't you like to this could be the day that you experience the greatest miracle that any person could ever experience by repenting of your sins and putting your trust in Jesus Christ would you do it, would you do it today I'm going to pray the sinner's prayer. I'm going to invite you to pray it right out loud with me. And, and if this is the day that you're going to experience the greatest miracle that anyone could ever experience, at the close of my prayer, I'm going to ask you to just to take the yes card there in front of you and fill it out and, and tell us about it. There will be prayer people here at the altar at the end. Maybe you could bring it up and put it in their hand. As a witness and a testimony, today on this day, I've experienced the greatest miracle anyone could ever experience. I invite you, if this is your day to make that decision, I invite you right now to pray the prayer with me. Those of you who had your hand up, why don't you pray it too? But for you, you're praying it as an affirmation of a decision that perhaps you made, maybe it's been years, maybe only months, but you've already experienced the new birth pray it as an affirmation of a decision that you've already made would you pray with me right out loud full voice dear Lord Jesus I admit that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sins I believe you died on the cross for me thank you forgive me and I'll live for you and serve you All of my days. Thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. If this is your day of decision, let us know. Tell us, put it on the card. Pass it to us here at the front or at the desk as you leave. Let's stand and worship together.